Is it important to have women in technology? Uh, fairly important, I'd say. But that's not the subject of today's episode of How We Manage Stuff. We're supposed to be talking about systematic ways of creating a vision for your organization. We're following a model that you developed for DARPA. Well, things have changed a bit. Okay, though it sounds as if the characterization, a bit, is an understatement. We'll get to our topic. However, Anna intern has asked if she can have a moment to talk about the Grace Hopper celebration of women in computing. I thought of all people you'd understand. Oh, of course. I should have guessed. Okay, let's give her some time. Anna, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready, Maddie? Yes. You may start. Hi, I'm Anna, the Directorial and Operational Assistant for Strategic Planning at How We Manage Stuff. And I'm Maddie. You need to give them your title. Your title. Why? Well, because no one will know who you are if you don't. They won't. But I'm Maddie. I am the CEO of Invisible Friend. That's my startup, Invisible Friend. It has an app. It shows kids their invisible friends. It's friendly. We're here to talk about the Grace Hopper celebration of women in computing. We are. It is the single most important, most important event for women in technology. Every fall, thousands, thousands of women meet at this convention. Um, shouldn't I say that I go to the Lillian Mola Gilbert School for Disruptive Innovation? I think your title tells people more about what you are than your school. I myself never, never tell people where I went to school because I feel that what I have accomplished since is so much but, more but, important. Uh, but Lillian Mola Gilbert was a woman. And she was the first woman to be a member of the National Academy of Engineering. Grace Hopper was only the second member of the National Academy of Engineering. The second. But that's still a pretty big deal. And the third woman elected to the National Academy of Engineering was Mildred Drusselhouse. The fourth woman elected was Betty Anker Johnson. But Grace Hopper has a lot of awards. A lot of awards. She has a National Medal of Technology and a Navy ship named after her. And she was a Google Doodle. And a conference, a conference that meets every year. And the fifth woman elected year. to the National Academy of Engineering was, ding, ding, Ruth Davis. The sixth was Jean Samet. She was also in computing. Do you know the names of all the women, all the women elected to the National Academy of Engineering? Yes. There are 163. Do you want me to tell them to you? Hmm. Lillian Mola Gilbert, Grace Hopper, uh, Mildred no. Jusselhouse. No, we're going to talk about Grace Hopper today. Grace Hopper was a computer scientist in the 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s. She was. That, of course, was enough to get her elected to the National Academy of Engineering. Because in the 1940s, there were no women's bathrooms in engineering schools. There weren't. Just men's bathrooms. Just men's. So, if you had to go to the bathroom, even just to freshen up, and maybe check your makeup because you have to do that sometimes, or just have a moment away from men, just a little moment, you would have to put on your shoes, bundle yourself up, and go to, like, the liberal arts building. Or nursing. Nursing, for heaven's sake. And find a bathroom there. If that doesn't get you into the National Academy of Engineering by itself, I don't know what will. And she worked for the Navy. Well, she worked at Harvard, and the Navy paid for her computer, and eventually she became an admiral in the Navy. But I think that was mostly a recognition for all her contributions. All of her contributions. And for years, years, she was about the only woman in computing. Though I guess there had to be more. But the bathrooms. No bathrooms? I mean, that, that really sends a message. If the guys don't want you, they're not going to give you a bathroom. 
pure and simple. And software. And she worked in software, which was originally considered to be not that important. But now, now we know that software is everything. Absolutely everything. I mean, who really cares about hardware? I don't. And I don't know anyone who does. So we finally turned to the software pioneers and found that many, many, many of them were women, including Grace Hopper. And Gertrude Blanche and Jean Samet and Kathleen Mockley and Irene Stegen and Jean Bartik and Frances Holberton and Ida Rose. You know the names of all these women, too? All of them? Yes. Do you want to know what they did? Uh, tell me about your exhibit for the Grace Hopper celebration. Oh, I made a booth for the Grace Hopper celebration. Because I'm a woman. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. And because I'm CEO of Invisible Friend. Okay, right. And we were going to call it Imaginary Friend, but we couldn't get the URL. We know. But we Jamal do. lied and said he had it. And so I fired him. Y- uh, your exhibit booth. Your booth? Yes. <laughs> I made it myself. I-, I had some help from Sabrina, but I mostly did it myself. Sabrina? Who's Sabrina? Oh, she's my director of sales. She's in the fifth grade. We printed the banner ourselves. We used Adobe. Hmm, that's funny. Funny word, Adobe. And we made gotchas. Gotchas? Yes, gotchas. Things to give away. We made them. We made them ourselves with our new 3D printer. They're uh, keychains because we all have to carry our keys. <laughs> ah, see, tchotchkes. Tchotchkes, conference gifts. Yeah, gotchas. Here's one. It says, Invisible Friend and Grace Hopper's Celebration. And it has a friend on it, too. But the friend is <gasps> invisible. Well, that's very nice. Uh, very nice. This is Vinny. Let me put him on speaker. Hey, Vinny. Hey, Anna. Listen, I'm going to have to ask you to talk to Maddie because we have tried all that we can. Hi, Vinny. And we're just stuck. The conference was sold out months ago, and there's no way that she's going to be able to go. uh, It's not clear that they would accept her company, even if there was space. uh, An eight-year-old entrepreneur is a tough sell. We should have planned ahead, had an adult trustee, perhaps a woman. They just won't accept that she can be a responsible CEO. (gasps) Not fair. I am CEO of Invisible Friend. Me, Maddie. And you can't take it. Not you, not Jamal, not Grace Hopper. I'm CEO. Uh Uh-oh. I was on. My mistake. I should have said. I'll fix it. Let me speak to Maddie. She's not here. Anna, we're going to go back to the podcast. Uh, Yes, please. Please. We're here to talk about building a vision, which is one of the key elements of an innovative organization. Such an organization can create a vision, articulate it to everyone in the group, and make it the focus of all their activities. It's one of the key aspects of organizations such as DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. In our last podcast, we talked about how a vision is an image of the future. An image that is something more than merely deploying new technology. We were actually talking with Vinny, who described a vision as a loosening of constraints an organization or society makes with fewer claims on individuals. I believe that he said that the vision tended to give people more power or more time. That's right. In our visions, our story or narrative about the future... We generally want to be able to act with more authority. Fewer restrictions. Right, or have more time, more opportunity to act. And in this episode, we want to consider how an organization might build a good vision. How they might do it systematically? Yes. Hmm, that's hard. It is, but that is the big challenge of the industrial age. In industry, we make things. Or produce services. Yes, with systematic procedures. 
Hence, you would think that we need a systematic method for creating a vision of the future. This is just a variant of the idea promoted by Alfred Sloan, the first president of GM. Yes. He argued that if you were going to change your products or services, you need a systematic procedure to prepare for those changes and to make those changes. But this is not quite the same thing. No, it's not. He wrote about the process by which General Motors had the annual change of models. And that is certainly a systematic process. We're talking about a process that produces a narrative of the future, a narrative that will guide the organization forward. Right, a narrative that will balance two conflicting ideas. It will be compelling enough to serve as a goal for the organization. And yet be sufficiently grounded in reality to be achievable. In spite of all the talk in the managerial literature about big, audacious goals. Because if you look at big, audacious goals, most are neither as big nor as audacious as claimed. And yet, when you work with an organization, you do really need to engage the collective imagination of the group and push that imagination hard to get people to think in new ways. Certainly, that's a common theme in many of the tools you use in your foresight methodology or I use in my consulting. Yes, because you really can't go through the list of all the constraints in an organization and ask the group to say, what would happen if you eliminated one or the other? What would we do if we had more time, more people, a larger share of the market, a stronger research division? You may ultimately be looking for one of those things, but you can't start by being timid you have to get them to think big. Because people tend to patch their reality rather than reform it. I wouldn't have put it that way, but I think that's the right idea. Patching, stretching, accommodating. When we're asked to imagine a future, we really don't like to make radical changes. We want to adjust or tweak our basic assumptions without making a serious change. If we think that we're limited by our share of the market, for example, we readily create a vision in which we have more market share, but nothing else changes. We don't think that we might need a bigger production facility or need to redefine our service or even reconfigure our organization. We adjust one little part. And get a vision that is timid and unreasonable in one breath. It's timid because it resembles what you have, and it's unreasonable because what you have is unlikely to be able to fulfill the vision you want. Thomas Kuhn. For those of you following at home, he's the philosopher who defined the idea of a paradigm shift in the 1960s. Exactly right. The structure of scientific revolutions. He devoted several chapters of that book to this idea of patching or accommodating our beliefs. When you observe a phenomena that doesn't correspond to your theory of the universe, you tend to make minor adjustments rather than radically reform your ideas, rather than create a new vision. Because you have an investment in the old theory. You spend a lot of time developing it and studying it. You don't want to have to learn something new and abandon that investment. And yet every time you adjust that theory, you make it more complex and less plausible. The same is true for your vision of the future. Every time you attempt to adjust your ideas to accommodate new information or new facts or even new desires, you stretch and adjust what you know rather than create something new. A vision that's both daring and achievable. I mean, look at Grace Hopper and those women who were programmers during the 40s and 50s. If the engineers of that era had really appreciated that software was going to be the innovative technology, they wouldn't have assigned programming to little groups of women who worked on the side of the organization and didn't even get their own bathrooms, they would have started creating a much more innovative vision 
and they would have done it fast. Huh. It's Vinny again. Hi, Vinny. Am I on speaker? Oh, just Tamara and me. Where's Maddie? Is she okay? Don't know, but I don't think she's gone far. Anna's looking for her. Well, I'm surprised as anyone that the conference was sold out. You know as well as any of us that being a CEO means that you are constantly learning lessons and that these lessons are hard. There isn't anything here that's your fault. Do you think she blames me? Vinny, you must have seen much worse. I'm sure all will be well, even if Maddie takes a little time to understand the issues that she's faced. It's true of all new CEOs, including... No, especially those that are 20 years older than her. Sure. And so, on this point, we'll bring the podcast to a close. Building a vision isn't easy, especially one that opens new possibilities. For How We Manage Stuff, this is David Allen Greer. And Tamara Carlton. Take care. I am the CEO of Invisible Friend. I am. And I'm going to the Grace Hopper celebration. I am. I am Maddie. Maddie, the CEO. The CEO, I have to tell you to subscribe to How We Manage Stuff through iTunes or Google Play or our website, http colon forward slash forward slash howwemanagestuff.com or Facebook or LinkedIn or or on my app, Invisible Friend, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. This is episode 16415 and is copyright 2016 by Jaggy LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs> Bye. Oh, this is me, Maddie, the CEO.